Coming to you live from the land of sleeping dogs and last-minute podcast recording, it's the Dockovers Podcast, Episode 95, The Count of San Francisco. In this episode, we've got a monster movie review, connected pulp characters, and the GM's toolkit. And now, let's get... Oh my god, those dogs farted again. Ugh, let's get on with the show. Hello there, folks. Welcome back to the podcast. This is your host, Doc Cross. I hope you've all had a good week. And those of you who were at Gen Con this last week, I hope you come back from the con without any COVID or anything like that. And I hope you have plenty of time to rest up because I know that con can flat wear you out. I am recording this late at night. I am recording this right when I should be actually posting it on the Patreon. But the problem is I hurt my leg um, about a week and a half, two weeks ago. I fell face down. I tripped, fell face down on some gravel. That bummed up my knee. Uh, I didn't really hurt anything else, but it messed up my left knee. And that led to a case of cellulitis, something I've had many times over the last 30-odd years. And the last time I had it was in 2019, not long after I got back from Gen Con, as a matter of fact, and it put me in hospital for four days. So this time, the moment I realized I had something going on, cellulitis-wise, I went in, got the antibiotic pills, took them, and I seem to have beaten it. It seems okay. My leg feels better. But my knee is still kind of swollen. Going to have to go and get that looked at. Anyway, all of that means that I've been spending a lot of time on my back, my leg elevated, taking pain pills, whatnot. And I just didn't get around or feel like doing a podcast. So there you go. I mean, I just wrote the Doclopedia entries yesterday. So I'm sorry if this sounds a little rushed or if the quality of recording is not as great. I'm going to put it out mostly unedited. So there we go. Anyway, uh, things around here have been okay. The heat has been much less the past uh, three or four days. It's uh, been not much over the mid-90s, which is pretty nice for Sacramento area. And uh, we've been getting on okay. Everybody's all right, although my dog, Yo-Yo, my oldest dog, got loose. He ran around like a crazy terrier for about 20 minutes on hot pavement. It was very hot, and he burned part of his right front pad off of his paw, so he was limping around for a few days and had to wear a cone so he wouldn't lick it. So, yeah, yo-yo, bad boy. We're about to get on with the podcast, but of course, first, I want to thank all of my patrons over on Patreon who give me money, and I do stuff with it. So thank you, Avis, Bruce, Shame, Marion, Mark, Kevin, David, and Peter. Y'all are the best. Hope you enjoy the show. Okay, it's time for a monster movie review, and we've been kind of hitting a lot of not-so-great monster movies this past few uh, reviews, and this one is Conga. It is a 1961 Technicolor British-American science fiction horror film directed by John Lamont and starring Michael Goff, 
Margot Johns, and Austin Trevor. It was shot at Merton Park Studios and in Croydon for Anglo Amalgamated, then distributed in the United States by American International Pictures as a double feature with Master of the World, which, by the way, is a movie starring Vincent Price that I watched, watched just a little, uh, I don't think a week ago, and not too bad of a movie. I'll review that at some point. Anglo-American and AIP each provided half of the funding for the $500,000 budget of the film, which each, with each studio receiving distribution rights in their respective hemispheres. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they spent $500,000 on this film, and uh, it really doesn't look like it. So Congo was based on uh, King Kong. They decided they wanted to do a movie with a giant ape, uh, they decided they wanted to set it in England, which they did. And it's really a goofed-up movie. So, as they say here in Wikipedia, the film epitomizes the B-movie in terms of illogical plot and shortcut special effects, such as a man in a gorilla suit replacing special effects entirely. Shots of screaming people looking upward invoke the idea that they are looking up at Conga and it is not explained how the serum changes species as well as size because he starts out as a chimpanzee and turns into a gorilla. And, boy, <laughs> it gets better from that. So, the plot goes like this. British botanist, understand this, this is a botanist, Dr. Charles Decker comes back from Africa after a year when he's been presumed dead. During that year, he came across a way of growing plants and animals to an enormous size. Now, right there, you would think he would go right to the Nobel Prize Committee and say, hey, check this shit out, and they'd be going, woohoo, here, here's your prize. But no, he doesn't do that. He brings back a baby chimpanzee named Conga to test out his theory that he can make this creature grow. Decker goes insane after he discovers a serum that turns the chimpanzee subject into a ferocious gorilla-sized ape. To further his hideous experiments, he mesmerizes the chimp, which is now a gorilla, and turns it into a killing machine to wipe out all his enemies who have more credit in the scientific community than he already has. Among his targets are Dean Foster, Professor Tagore, and Bob Kenton, the lover of Sandra Banks, the young woman that the doctor wants for himself. Uh, the doctor encounters the boyfriend of the young woman. He sends Conga to strangle him. Uh, detectives are looking for things. Uh, shit goes on. Decker's lover and assistant, Margaret, finds out he's you know hot for Sandra. And she attempts to get even by giving Conga an enormous amount of the strange growth serum. And bang, zoom, he turns into a giant ape and she's the first one he kills. And he goes on a rampage and a supersized ape grabs Decker in one of his enormous hands and carries him along as he rampages through London. And there are terrible, terrible special effects. And it's a guy in an ape suit. And really, folks, uh... Sandra, the young lady, yeah, she ends up getting eaten by a carnivorous plant. 
Conga and Decker get killed by the good old British Army, which is good at killing things. And upon his death, Conga changes back to a baby chimpanzee. Now, if I've spoiled this for any of you, you can thank me for it later. This is a wretched movie. It, it's, it's fun to watch and laugh at, but otherwise, it is just crap. Uh, the special effects are virtually non-existent, and you know, a guy in an ape suit, so how scary is that going to be? I remember seeing this movie long time ago when I was a kid, uh, actually at the drive-in, uh, I think with Master of the World, as a matter of fact. And, you know, it was goofy then. So that's the main plot of Conga. A few things to know are that uh, the movie did, in fact, play on a double feature with Master of the World. The AIP paid RKO Pictures $25,000 to use the rights to the name Kong, not Conga, for exploitation purposes. They advertised it as I was a teenage gorilla, which was its working title, and they said, you know, in the tradition of King Kong, stuff like that. It was bad. A novelization of the film was released in paperback at the time of its original release. It's called Conga. It's by Dean Owen. It's from Monarch Books, 1960. And from what I've heard, both this and the novelization of Gorgo, which I talked about before, are very hard to find. So... If you find one somewhere for cheap, hang on to that sucker because it's probably worth quite a few bucks. Now, from 1960 to 1965, Charlton Comics published 23 issues of the comic book Conga. And I actually had two or three issues of it that I got from some kid when I was, I don't know, seven or eight. And it included work by Spider-Man co-creator Steve Ditko. And I remember that the, the comics were no big deal. The stories were pretty shitty there, too. Anyway, folks, that's Conga. And next time, we will have another monster movie review. Hopefully, of a better movie. All right, it's time to move on to connected pulp characters. And these two pulp characters are related to the last two, or at least one of the last two, because these are... Tommy Cruz and Morris Jones. And these are two young men who travel the world and you know get into trouble and out of trouble and whatnot. And Morris is Pat the Cabbie's nephew. And in fact, the two boys were terrible students in school. They were always getting in trouble. Their parents didn't know what to do. They were having adventures and things even then, you know, in, in and around New York City. And Pat the Cabbie said, look, you guys are killing your parents. Here you go. Here's some money. Light out of town. Get out of here. Go see the world. Come back when you're, you know, grown up and mature. So they did. Except it's been about 20 years and they haven't come back yet. They left town when they were 15. These guys are both in their mid-30s now. Tommy Cruz is a Puerto Rican. He grew up in a tough neighborhood. And, oddly enough, Morris Jones is Jewish and black. And he came from an equally tough neighborhood just down the street. 
The two went to the same schools together. They got into trouble together, and now they're world travelers together. They have worked as mercenaries. They've worked smuggling. They've worked doing legit work of all sorts. And they've got in and out of all sorts of jams with ordinary people and a few times with various heroes like Doc Tempest or The Shadow or Doc Savage or whoever the hell you want to put in there. And they can be useful as NPCs in your game. You got a couple of guys that are traveling. They are ethnic-looking, so they can blend into various uh, populations, various towns and things like that. Or they can go into areas of mostly white towns where white people maybe not so safe or maybe not shouldn't go. They don't want to go. And here you go. You got this Puerto Rican guy. You got this African-American, half-African-American fellow. And they can do stuff. They can get things done. And they're two-fisted. They'll fight it out. They will they can shoot. They can drive cars. They can even fly a plane. Now, these guys are also womanizers. They tend to drink a little too much. They've been known to waste their money on a lot of different things. And they're usually short of money. So it's not real hard to get them to help your characters out. And, folks, that is a short Connected Pulp Characters for this episode because it's very late and i got to go on to the next thing. Okay, folks, we are now on to the GM's Toolkit. And the theme for this Toolkit episode is Variations on the Theme of Humanoids. And by that I mean taking the humanoid creatures that always pop up in fantasy games or pulp games or whatever and changing them. Now we're mostly going through pulp tropes this time around. We're looking at the pulp era games and pulp era adventures and stuff. So we're going to talk about the kind of humanoids or even humans that you encounter in these sort of games. Now of course there are the primitive tribesmen and the people from the past who have been isolated, like, you know, Aztecs or, you know, Romans somewhere in the middle of Africa, something like that. And you can change them up a little bit. What if these Aztecs, in their hidden valleys, somewhere, wherever, what if they came out a little bit at a time over the years and they, you know, slid into... Uh, the civilization, the Spanish, the Mexican civilization, whatever the, the time frame is, and they've learned stuff. They've learned to speak Spanish or English or German or whatever, French, because French were down in Mexico too. So, And they've learned these languages, and they've learned customs, and they've learned things about us, and they've learned to shoot guns. So when you go into this land and you see these you know, Mayan, or uh, I'm sorry, Aztec temples or Mayan temples, whatever. And the next thing you know, here's a bunch of these primitive folks who've been isolated, supposedly, from the rest of the world. They step out and are pointing guns at you. Surprise! That will, uh, that will keep your player characters on their toes. Another one that you find in these pulp adventures is the people who are completely 
off the charts as far as historical reference go, and they live like underground. Doc Savage had at least two adventures where he went to underground worlds and encountered people. Probably there were more than that. And so you've got these people who live underground, and lots of times they either have highly advanced technology or maybe just slightly advanced technology beyond the 1930s. Maybe they have like 1950s level technology. But that's how they usually run. But what if they were just primitive savages? Or what if they weren't human at all? What if they're aliens? And that's established quickly. You you know, your, your guys stumble into this underground world and they find out, no, these people are not human because they're green-skinned and if you cut off their arm, they can regrow it because they're mostly plant. Or what if there's some sort of evolved animal, an animal from the surface world that came down here and through whatever, you know, irradiation or something, they've evolved into humanoids. So that's a, that's a thing. So that's pulp. But now let's move on to fantasy, because pulp did cover fantasy too. Although pulp fantasy was a little more whacked out than the hero fantasy that we all uh, know and love and which most people play when they play a pulp-era game. But let's move on to regular fantasy, D&D-style F20, whatever you call it, fantasy. The thing to do here is to take all of your fantasy humanoid races and change them because your players by now will know how they function. Orcs do this, kobolds do this, bugbears do this, you know, goblins do this, whatever. Change it. Put your goblins on horseback. Give your kobolds some sort of magical flamethrowers or make your orcs into not savage. Make them into traitors. That's what I did in my last campaign. I, they were all, the orcs were, were traitors. They were, were craftsmen and they were salesmen and they were a lot more like the Ferengi from Star Trek than they were like orcs from Tolkien. So you can change things up that way. You can make them stronger, faster, make them use different weapons. Just look in the Dungeon Master's Guide or whatever book you use that has monsters in it and say, no, these kobolds are going to use spears or these uh, bugbears are going to try and capture people alive and sell them as slaves or these orcs are just going to kill you and eat you. And you know that up front. You tell them, these guys are looking at you like your dinner. They're slobbering. They're, you know, they're ready to chow down on you. That will scare the hell out of your player characters. So anyway, folks, yep, that's what you got to do. It'll make your games better. It'll make your games more exciting. It'll give you stuff to work with as a game master. It will give your player characters and your players something to think about. They will soon learn. You know, just because he's throwing orcs at us doesn't mean they're orc orcs. They could be some other kind of orc. They could be, you know, killer three-eyed orcs or something. And change humanoids around. 
whether you're playing pulp, whether you're playing whatever, outer space, well, actually science fiction, you can change them around all you want because you're making them up or taking various things. Although, having the Vulcans become a manipulative, maybe even, I don't know, kinky race, I don't know. Yeah, you could do that. That would change things up too. Anyway, that's the GM Toolkit for this episode, and we'll have another one in a couple of weeks. Okay, folks, I have jammed through this episode a little faster than I normally would like, and I want to thank you for listening. If you have any suggestions, comments, or questions, I can be reached on Facebook, where I am Doc Cross, on WordPress at the Docverse blog, via email at agentroscoe at gmail.com. If you're listening via Anchor, you can leave a voicemail, and you patrons can leave a message right on the Patreon page, and I wish you would. If you'd like to support me via Patreon, like those wonderful people I mentioned at the beginning of the show, and you want to hear these podcasts two months or better before they go up on Anchor, go to www.patreon.com forward slash dot cross and contribute as little as a dollar or as much as, I don't know, a thousand dollars, whatever you want to contribute per month. But wait, you say, talk. I really don't want to give up, you know, some money every month. I, you know, I don't know if I'm going to have this much or that much. Fine. You folks can go over to my Kofi page, which is KO-FI, where you'll find me at DocCross4591, and you can contribute whatever you feel like, and then go six months and contribute again, or contribute every month, or however you want to do it. There's no locking you in the way Patreon does. And if you would like to sponsor this podcast or advertise on it, get in touch with me by any of the methods I mentioned earlier. Our music was Seventh Floor Tango by Silent Partner, and it came off of the Free Music Archives. This podcast and everything on it, except the music, is copyright 2022 by Doc Cross. I'll see you all next week. Live long and prosper.